Galatians 5.22. You found it, say amen. This is our third lesson on the fruit of the Spirit. The title of this lesson is the fruit of sanctification. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word, anoint ears to hear. Let the seed of your word find good ground in our hearts. Confirm your word in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that we would walk in the Spirit. And that, Lord, we would have the fruit of the Spirit to grow as the harvest in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Two of Paul's greatest contributions to Christianity are the list of vices and virtues known as the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the works of the flesh, and today we begin to turn our gaze away from that and towards the fruit of the Spirit. But I will say again, as I said a few weeks ago, that if you look at these two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, simply as lists of do's and of don'ts, then you've missed Paul's entire point. These lists were given in context of their effect on the wider church community. Paul set the tone in chapter 5 by referring to the communal aspects in verses 9, 13, 14, and 15. And then he closed the chapter by referring back to the unity aspect in verse 26. Both these lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, are to be understood in how the action of the individual affects the wider church community, not merely their individual choices. Brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, we are beholden to each other to live in such a way that we elevate the work of God and not become a weight to it. Our works or the fruit of the Spirit in us will have a wider impact on God's kingdom than what we may believe. At the end of the day, Brother Ethan, he came into my office before service and I didn't, I didn't get a, I didn't pick out Bishop Wilson. Glad to have you and Sister Wilson home. I, I didn't pick out a, that's right, give them a good hand. They deserve it. I didn't pick out, I didn't come up with a lesson title for this one lesson. I just entitled Fruit of the Spirit Lesson 3. And, uh, and so they asked for a better title. 
and uh, and so I, I when I was looking through the notes, Brother Ethan was standing there, and I said, I said, really, the the most important sentence in the entire lesson is this one, and it's the one that comes up in my notes now. At the end of the day, all Christian teaching comes down to holiness. Amen. At the end of the day, everything the Bible desires to grow in a child of God comes down to holiness. Very few things in life are zero-sum issues, meaning that they don't affect, you know, there's very few things that don't really affect anything at all. Nearly everything we do as Christians contributes either to our sanctification or our defilement. Everything we do either nudges us closer to God or further from God. Very few things have zero impact on our spiritual health. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 4, another writing of Paul tells us that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. It is God's will that every one of us learn how to live a holy Christian life. Amen. Is that what it says, that every one of us? Is that what the apostle wrote under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? That every one of us should know how to possess our vessel, our body, in sanctification and honor. It is God's will that we learn how to live for Him. Amen. We should not be committing the same mistakes after serving Him 10 years that we did when we were new converts. Praise God. Amen. I didn't know I was going to be preaching this good tonight. I ought to not be doing the same thing now that I was doing 20 years ago. I should learn how to possess my vessel in sanctification and honor. Amen. Every one of you, is that what he said? I'm not, I'm not just trying to, to belabor the message any longer than I have to, but it's important that we understand that Paul said every single one of us should learn how to live right, to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. The word sanctification in the Greek means purification, the state of purity, holiness, sanctification, consecration, the effect of consecration, or the effect of being set apart for God, sanctification of heart and life. God wants us to learn how to possess our vessel inside and out, heart and life inside and out in holiness amen that word sanctification comes from a greek word that means to purify or to make holy and i, I found in the uh, in the greek definition something that that caught my attention it means to hollow or to separate from profane things and dedicate to god there is a separation from things that are unholy. But if all we do is separate ourselves from things, we don't really have true holiness. 
because the definition is to separate from profane things and to dedicate to God. It's not enough just to get bad things out of our heart, but we have to add good things into our lives. Amen. Now, now let me press the issue a little bit more in the definition of the root word for sanctification. It means to purify and cleanse externally. Everybody say externally. That means on the outside. There is a Christian requirement for us to be holy outwardly. Amen. There should be a difference between a Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled child of God and someone in the world that does not have the influence of the Spirit on their life. It's a good place to say amen. amen. To purify and cleanse externally. And then it goes on to say to purify internally by the renewing of the soul. So you cannot be sanctified if it's not working inside and outside. Amen. So Paul said we should know. It's something that a child of God should know. Amen. To sanctify, to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. The word honor is a very interesting Greek word. It, refer, it, it refers to value. When you honor something, you place value on it. You cannot honor something and then, and then not value that thing. You know, at, uh, you don't honor your wife and then not put a value on her. Amen. Don't worry, guys. I'm not getting into that tonight any more than I already have. But to honor means to value. To honor something means to value the price paid or received for a person or thing that is bought or sold. Here's the definition of honor. Reverence for the cost to purchase something. Paul said that we should know how to possess our vessel in sanctification, purity, and honor. In other words, we should live in such a way that it reflects the respect we have for the price that Jesus paid for us. Amen. We live how we live our lives reflects the respect we have for the price that Jesus paid for us. To live unholy is to show that we don't respect the price of his body, his blood, and his cross. Amen. When we live sanctified and honorably, we show that we have a value for the price that he paid for us. Paul told the Thessalonians that every one of us should learn how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. We must train ourselves to live in our vessel, sanctified and holy. Amen. And this is accomplished through the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine gifts of the Spirit listed in Corinthians, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, gifts of healing, working of miracles, discerning of spirits, and the gift of faith. 
Likewise, there are nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I would dare say that many Pentecostals spend much more time praying for the power of the gifts of the Spirit than we do about praying for the effect of the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. It's a lot more exciting to prophesy than it is to be nice to somebody that's not being nice back. You can be used in the gifts of the Spirit and be lost. But you cannot truly have the fruit of the Spirit and be lost. Let me say it again. Because you can be used in the gifts of the Spirit and be lost. I had a man prophesy to me one time, and he didn't know. Brother Carson, he didn't know what I knew about him. He prophesied to me, and everything he said was right on target. You can be used in the gifts of the Spirit and be lost, but you cannot really have the fruit of the Spirit and be lost. So if you have to choose between the fruit or the gifts, ask God for the fruit of the Spirit. God's ultimate highest aim for all of us is our sanctification. When you study the Bible, every lesson it teaches us about discipleship comes down to being holy. He wants to transform us into his own image. He wants us to consecrate ourselves and to set ourselves apart for him. Amen. Can I press the issue a little bit more? Amen. If you don't like that part, it's only going to get worse, folks. I'm just telling you. Because I'm getting ready to deal with some sacred cows. I don't know. Your quietness makes me think I might ought to dismiss and go eat my fried rice I got in the refrigerator. Man, if them boys ate my fried rice, there's going to be a mess going on across the street later. Our Pentecostal mindset, let me rephrase that, the, the true Pentecostal mindset relates holiness to the whole self, inside and outside. There are many denominations that only want the spirit to affect character traits. But our Pentecostal mindset relates consecration to body, soul, and spirit, inward and outward. The problem that many Pentecostals fall into is that they get the outward holiness down pat. Their hair, their clothes, the externals look the part, but they allow their spirit to be nasty and carnal and bitter and hateful and rotten. Amen. Bishop Wilson, I don't know if you recall this or not. If you don't, I know you're going to say okay. And if you do, you'll nod your head yes. But one time Bishop Wilson told me that, that I'm too easy on people. He's nodding his head now. He, he may not remember saying it, but he, but he believes it. And I agree with him. Jesus didn't have that problem. 
He delivered a scathing rebuke to some of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. Let's look at Matthew 23 and 25, and then we'll read two or three verses after that as well. Look at Matthew 23, 25. You know, I say it a lot. People think they want Jesus to be their pastor. They see the pictures in the kids' Bible with him sitting with a lamb on his shoulder and kids on his lap, and he's, but, but uh, you don't want your pastor. Matthew 23 and 25, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup, and but within are full of extortion and excess. He's making a reference, Brother Hakeem, to washing dishes. He said that the hypocrites were like people who washed cups and pans on the outside but left all the leftover crud on the inside. Man, Jesus, you're pretty hard on these people. He said, what you do, you make the outside clean so everybody can see it and think everything's okay. But inside, it's extortion and excess. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's just getting started. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. He's saying you cannot be clean on the outside if you're dirty on the inside you got to clean the inside so the outside can be clean. Because what good is a cup that's clean on the outside if the inside is filthy? But he not notice this phrase. Notice the first three words there. Thou blind Pharisee. That phrase sums up one of the greatest dangers that any Christian could have. Because the blind Pharisee cannot see what they're missing. The problem with someone that is blind is that no matter how bad, you, how much you try to explain it, they just can't see it. You can explain how beautiful a blue sky is to someone that was born blind. And they may imagine in their mind what it might look like, but there's no way they can really know without seeing it themselves. Jesus said, thou blind Pharisee. The problem with someone who's blind is you can't see it. And the problem with someone that has that kind of a spirit that is dirty on the inside, even if it's clean on the outside, is that very often they're so blind that they can't see it themselves. They think everyone else is wrong. They think that they're perfectly fine. They think they have their religious life all under control, but in reality they are completely blind to the danger that they're in. Jesus said, Pharisee, you're blind because you can't see that the dirt on the inside of the cup is the problem. You think it's okay because the outside is okay, but the inside is where the problem is, and you can't get a blind Pharisee to see it. You can talk to some people till you're blue in the face, and they'll never be wrong. Praise God. 
God. It'll always be somebody else's fault. It'll always be somebody else did it. But the problem is the Pharisee is blind to the dirt in their own cup. That's what he said. Am I in the Bible? What's that, what's that preacher that has the, he has this guy that has this giant Bible and he says, read it. You ever watch him on YouTube? Man, he's the meanest preacher I ever heard of. My sister Bonnie, he is so mean. And when he gets riled up, he says, read it. So read it. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup. In other words, he's saying, worry about yourself first. Get the inside right. And the outside can be right. Cleanse what's in the heart and soul and mind first. Don't take this out of context, but what good is a long skirt if your heart is full of poison? What good is long hair on a woman or short hair for a man if your spirit is rotten as it can be? He didn't say not to be clean on the outside. Don't, don't take the jump that the charismatics take. He didn't say not to be clean on the outside. But he said you cannot really be clean on the outside if you're dirty on the inside too. He said work on your heart, not just the outward. Amen. I'm doing some good preaching here. But he still wasn't done with them. You ever have God just work you over so much that you just said, God, give me a break. When I was out there in the prayer room several years ago, I was asking God to do all kinds of stuff to all kinds of people. And every time I asked God to do something to someone else, he turned it, Brother Zach, he turned it right back on me. He worked me over so much that I said, God, if you're going to keep treating me like that, I'm not praying tomorrow. <laughs> he still wasn't done with them. Verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's the second time he used that same phrase. For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. He ups the metaphor to another level. It's one thing to talk about washing dishes, but now he's talking about graves and death. It's important because the Pharisees, you see, he's speaking the language of the Pharisees. For the Kaiser, he understands the Pharisees know every detail of the law. And so now speak language. He's talking, he knows that when he starts talking about death, all these rules start coming to their mind. They love talking about how, un, the Pharisees love talking about how unholy everyone else was. They're like people who amen outward holiness preaching but mumble and murmur when it deals with the heart. Jesus likens them to graves and dead men's bones. This is a problem for the Pharisee that knows the law. Numbers 19 and 13. Whosoever toucheth, toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead, you are not the tabernacle of and that off 
the water of sepulchre was not upon him. He shall be his uncut is yet upon him. Whoever the body of the dead is not pure. They defile the tabernacle. The Bible said they are not separated. They are unclean. And Jesus said they'll be cut off from Israel. And when he tells the Pharisees, you're like a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones, what he's saying is as long as you've got that death in you, you can never be holy. He's turning the law back on them. Not getting a lot of amens, but boy, it's good stuff. He says, you, you are whited sepulchers. You look, you look right on the outside, all painted. It, it's, it's painted whitewashed. It looks beautiful. It refers to the practice of, of people painting their family graves on the outside, the tombs, the crypts. They, they, they painted them white on the outside. That was not wrong to do. It was fine to make it look good on the outside. But Jesus said, that indeed, he said, indeed, they appear beautiful outward. But he reminded them, on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Not alive, spiritually dead. And he's still not done with them. He's giving them a hard time, isn't he, Brother Brian? The next verse, verse 28, he said, even... So ye outwardly right within ye are of hip and iniquity. Whoo, man, Lord, you are giving it to him. How many want me to have Jesus be the guest preacher Sunday? <laughs> I saw one hand out of everybody. It's important that we don't use holiness to posture ourselves. But we use holiness to submit ourselves to God. Just because someone looks holy doesn't mean they are holy. If they're spouting division and bitterness and hatred and discord, they're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And if you're not careful, they'll poison your spirit too. Several years ago, I had a dear friend, a great preacher, had a great ministry. We had been close friends for many years, but because of some situations with other ministers in their district, he got very bitter at some. I used to talk to him several times a week, and every time I talked to him, he was running the people in the district down and talking about them, and they're, they're always talking bad about the, the people, and, and nothing positive ever came from him. I tried to tell him that his attitude was rotten, but he was blind like the Pharisee. He just couldn't see it. He was justified. It was their fault, not his. And so for my own spirit's sake, I quit talking to him. Over the course of the last several years, I've talked to him maybe twice on the phone and texted less than five times. I miss his friendship, but I can't afford to be poisoned by his attitude. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, 28, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous men in our life. 
we not bad and dirty on the inside? Or like painted tombs that are full of corruption and death on the inside. His goal is that we learn to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. As the definition of the root word says, to cleanse externally and purify internally by the renewing of the soul. God wants all of us to enter into true sanctification with him so that he can mold and shape and transform us into his image. He wants us to be truly holy people. Amen. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, these of God, present holy, acceptable unto This is such a powerful verse because so many in modern religion want to jettison outward holiness and say we're living in mercy. But Paul said it's by the mercy of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is reasonable to serve God with outward holiness. Amen. Can we agree that Romans 12 and 1 is talking about whole, our bodies being living, our bodies being holy? Can we agree with that? Yeah. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Inward. Verse 1 is outward. Verse 2 is the mind pure from this world. It's so easy to get our thinking sidetracked. But Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let, what the, the Norley translation, I believe, says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the world. Maybe blind like that can't see the dirt on the inside of his own cup. Don't let me be like a whited sepulcher, a tomb that's, that looks fine on the side, but is full of dead man's bones and corruption on the inside. God, help me to learn how to possess my vessel in sanctification and honor, that I can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That does not mean there's three wills of God, that one's good, one's acceptable, and one's perfect, and you can be in it. No, it means there's one will of God, and that one will of God is good, and it's acceptable, and it's perfect. But we have to have our mind renewed. He wants to transform us. To this end, Paul wrote to us of the nine fruit of the Spirit. These nine qualities are what the Holy Ghost wants to develop within us so we can be truly holy. God purposely inspired Paul to write about these nine specific qualities that come direct from the Holy Ghost. He let us know the extreme importance of these nine specific traits. These nine fruit are the major qualities that come directly from God himself through the Holy Ghost. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of joy, suffering, gentleness, good faith, 
every day should be asking God to help these. I've heard preachers get up in the pulpit and say, you ought to pray for this gift or that gift or pray for this or pray for that. I'm saying that if Paul were standing here, Paul would say, pray for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. These are the true of a Christian. not be a real disciple of Jesus Christ and not have these nine fruit of the Spirit growing in our spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And then he follows it up, verse 24, the very next verse. And they that are Christ have crucified with the offense and lust. If you're Jesus Christ, then you are in the process of crucifying the flesh. The desires and lusts of the flesh. The point is clear. You either have the fruit of the Spirit or your flesh is out of control. Amen. Lust is not always sexual in nature. Lust can be for you to want your own will regardless of what it costs. You can lust to have your own way above everything else. You can lust to have position over another. When you act outside of the fruit of the Spirit for your own purposes, you are living in the desires of your flesh and lust. Like the Pharisees, we can be blind to it. We can be so certain that we're right and righteous that we don't see that the enemy has tricked us. Paul told them in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Our walk ought to match our life. You cannot live in the Spirit and then walk in the flesh. You can't be full of the Holy Ghost in your daily life without showing in how we interact with others. Amen. God, help me to learn how to keep my human spirit under control so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow in my life. The last verse of the chapter, Galatians 5, 26, let us not be desiring one another, envying one another. He said, don't, don't live your life with envy and vanity and provoking somebody all the time. Not God help us to develop. Can you lift your hands and say, God help me to let the fruit of the Spirit grow in my life. God, I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking you before this congregation tonight, God, to help all of us through the Holy Ghost to grow in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Help us, God, Lord, not to be like a painted grave that's full of dead man's bones. And help us not to be like a cup that's washed on the outside but filthy on the inside. Lord, help us to learn how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. And that's why we need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives.
Amen. Next time I teach on the subject, we're going to talk. I think it's probably going to take the whole lesson just to talk about love. And uh, we're going to work our way through the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, I ask you, God, to touch your people tonight. This is your church and your people. God, I pray, Lord, that the preaching of the word would be received with faith. Help us, O oh God. Help us, O oh God, to let your word impact our lives. Help us to be daily representatives of what a life full of the Holy Ghost should be like. Lord, I pray, help us to walk in the Spirit so we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. God, help us to live the fruit of the Spirit, to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Lord, these are your people, and I pray your blessing on them. I pray you bless them mind, body, and spirit. I pray you bless them in heart. I pray you bless them financially, bless their marriages, bless their families, bless them in every way, and God will give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.